0: As we begin uh, this responsive worship, I think it would be really appropriate if maybe we could recite the 23rd Psalm together as a corporate prayer. So if we could get that up. Let's begin. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Uh, scripture I ever memorized was John 3.16, which maybe is familiar uh, to you. My mother, uh, when I was four years old, actually led me to Jesus with that verse and, uh, and explained the gospel. But the first actual like chunk of scripture I ever memorized was Psalm 23. This was 20 years ago. It was at the first church my family ever attended. And uh, Glenn and Kathy Eichler uh, were teaching junior church. And they challenged us, the k six guys, to, uh, to memorize Psalm 23. And it was a lot. It was big. I was like six years old. And, uh, but I did it. We did it in the King James, as I recall. And I didn't really understand what was going on in the Scripture. But it stuck with me. And over the years, it's, be, it's become deeper and deeper its meaning. And there's a reason for that. The reason is that Psalm 23, the only thing you need to know in order to understand Psalm 23, the only need, thing you need to do is be someone who journeys through this life. All you need to be is someone who walks through life. And if you're someone like that, and I think we all are, then you know what it's like to have been in the valley of the shadow of death. You know what it's like to have the Lord restore your soul. You know what it's like to be led uh, to still waters and to lie down in green pastures. So you, everyone here knows and relates to this song. And I would like to invite you, if if you feel comfortable, So come up. We have a a handheld mic here, and I've already asked uh, some people to prepare like a a few thoughts. And I would like you to share if maybe there's a line of Psalm 23 that jumps out at you. Maybe when you hear the line, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Maybe that that strikes a, a memory, strikes a story in your life. Sometime where you know that God's been with you, that God has done those things for you, that God comforted you and took care of you. If any one line of the psalm jumps out, I invite you to share that with us. Share a time when God really was there for you. Um, if, you're, if you're not comfortable speaking, that's totally cool. That's great. Uh, but I would ask you, I would invite you to be, to be thinking about what kind of God is this who does that? What kind of God is this who takes care of us and comforts us at all times? So if you're one of the uh, the people that I've, that I've asked to prepare something, uh, if you guys would maybe just uh, start coming on up. Um, And if you're, after we've had maybe five, seven uh, testimonies, then we'll uh, we'll sing. We'll have a responsive song. We'll sing, and we will, uh, um, we'll just declare to God that He has been a a giver of comfort. All right, JC, thanks man for uh, volunteering. Appreciate it. All right.
1: Keyword, if you feel comfortable. Did I get it? Okay. You got it. All right. Well, this is my first time, and maybe my last, depending on the response here. <laughs> but uh, uh, verse 1 of Psalm 23 and verse 2, I really looked at this week and contemplated what it meant to me. Verse 1 The Lord is my shepherd. To me, this is a relationship between me and God, or us and God. The Lord is my shepherd. He is. Our King, our Father, our Caretaker, and our Provider. The Lord is my Shepherd. We are loved and never alone. How do I know this? I asked myself this week as I was contemplating and studying verse one. How do I know this, that the Lord is my Shepherd? Well, He answers my prayers. How do I know this? I can talk to Him anytime Anywhere in prayer. The Lord is my shepherd. How do I know this? The more I put my trust in him, the more I see his grace and love. Notice, or I noticed, how the Lord is my shepherd. Not the Lord is the shepherd of the world at large. If he be a shepherd to no one else, he is a shepherd to me watches over me and preserves me. This is all I need. Then I looked at verse 2. I shall not want. I might want all that I wish for. I shall not want. I have all things that I need. I shall not want. The wicked always want, but the righteous never. A sinner's heart is far from satisfaction, but a gracious spirit dwells in content. I shall not want. I know these things are true, because whenever I start focusing on the things I do not need, but want, it leads to more and more wants, which in the end leads to less and less of a content heart and spirit. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. Thank you.
2: Okay, I'm not a good speaker in front of many people, but I'm going to do it. Get out of my comfort zone. Um, I have verse two. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And I was having a problem trying to figure out what in my life did He lead me in green pastures and still waters? And I figured out it was moving out here four years ago this weekend. Dustin and I, um, we moved out here in a rider truck from Laramie, Wyoming. And, you know, it is true, it is much greener out here, but I don't think that's the what the Lord had in mind for the green pastures. <laughs> and the still waters, but it is beautiful out here. But I basically kicked and screamed all the way out here. I did not feel that the Lord wanted us here. But I grew up in a godly home, and I knew I needed to follow my husband, and I needed to pray for him and go along with it. So I was a bit of a bear coming out here, but Dustin plugged on with me. So once we got out here and we found this church, the Lord really comforted me. I left my family behind, but this is my family now, and... Um, it's much, it's a green pasture and it still waters. Our family's wonderful. Um, our marriage is wonderful. And I think just me learning to to go with my husband, I learned that, um, our family was going to be just okay if we trusted in the Lord.
3: He restores my soul and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. A ewe, a female sheep, bearing our, uh, getting ready to bear her youngs, oftentimes, because of the weight, turns upside down and cannot get right side up without the help of the shepherd. Five times in my life, my life was totally turned upside down, totally devastated. Some as a result of natural consequences of my own actions and some being caught blindsided and unaware. I don't need I don't need to mention names. Tom would you come hold this for me please? I don't need to mention names as I have forgiven everyone concerned and do not need to dredge up the past. Suffice to say at my lowest points I realized that I could not make things right on my own. I tried I had to literally lie down in green pastures and beside still waters to recognize that my Lord was there. Tom, I believe this verse is progressive. Through experiencing the closeness of the Lord during these times, I became aware more and more that this life is not about me and my wants, but learning and experiencing who he is, that he is the restorer of my soul. After four of these five upside-down times, the fourth, where my entire integrity was in question and was falsely accused due to incorrect perception of my accusers, who I was aware that God was testing me to see how I was going to react this time. Was I going to wallow in self-pity? How soon would I turn to him? When I chose to take the high road and do what was right in his eyes, I soon found a new strength to comfort my total devastation. I came to know that God doesn't become totally disgusted with me, but he tenderly helps me up. He is eager to restore, but I need to be willing to let him. All of life is learning about him through our experiences. Time number five was the ultimate test where I finally got it. Faced with a situation, I pushed my way through red lights, thinking or convinced that I knew what was best for me at the time. Oh, my. It was three years of emotional and financial abuse. Keeping up a front on the outside, the pain was excruciating. I told God how how sorry I was that I was not following his lead in this situation. Once admitting that, he slowly worked out details to where that situation was resolved in a way that I knew it was his hand and not by the doing of my own manipulation. Since that time until now, I recognize that he is leading me, but also know if I want the full benefit of his leadership, I must be willing to follow him. I also realize that he is in front of me leading me and not behind me pushing me, Thus, the choice is mine whether I want to stay on the path or not. Not just the big ten sins, you know, but even the little, like even righteousness of having a right attitude. No matter where the path leads, if I follow him, it will be right. Whatever he exposes me to uh, will only strengthen and fortify my faith and confidence in him. God knows what he is doing with me. My main desire is to bring glory to his name through letting him restore my soul and being willing to follow him in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake.
4: And the verse I chose uh, to speak on this morning was, uh, he prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. And this one, whenever I think the 23rd Psalm, this one comes to mind and I'll back up and regress just a little bit, but uh, kind of like Tom here, I grew up, and you have one of those little I don't know, folders, or uh, what's the word I want to use, uh, it's almost like a little picture frame beside your nightstand, and you got the little picture of Jesus praying on the rock and the 23rd Psalm, King, King James Version on it. And I grew up, and uh, some of you heard me speak on Easter morning, heard me talk about uh little mind games of of working my way to heaven that I played growing up. And one of them was reading that every night, thinking that it was one of the things I had to do. And I I know now that that, that's not the case, but one of the the benefits, I guess, of doing that is that over a couple years of of reciting that every night, you you get to memorize it. Um, So I I took this with me to Annapolis, again, still playing those, those mind games when I was a midshipman at the Naval Academy. And uh, first first day there, you learn that there is a present. You are in the presence of your enemies at the table. Um, <laughs> at Annapolis, there are firsties who are the seniors. There are youngsters who are the sophomores, and they're kind of your friends. They're coaching you along. You're a plebe when you're there. And then there's these guys that don't really have a name, but I'll call Legion because I'm convinced they were indwelt by demons. Um, but uh, you know, they, they introduce themselves with "Welcome to the jungle," and you ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, but you sit there and you have to recite stuff for them. They they make you sweat. My mother has a picture that she used to hang on her refrigerator of me down to about 175 in a pool of sweat with these guys yelling at me. And to to this day, some of them probably I'm not a friend with. One I showed up in Yuma, and it's like I'm peeking over the counter because I find out he's living across the street from me. But. Uh, um, you know, and they had the verse on their doors, the ones that were Christians, you know, from Job, brace yourself like a man, I'm going to ask the questions, you're going to give me answers. So you, you just couldn't win. But I, I, the thing that this taught me, this this portion of it, is a table in the presence of my enemies, was uh, that I had to trust God, and that uh, there's enemies, and that's plural, and there's me at the table. And... A lot of times that's just how it is with folks, and there's nothing left to do but to trust. I think of uh, um, Joseph in Israel with his brothers. A lot of times he was he had a uh, he was in the presence of his enemies, and how he was seated, but he trusted God, and God saw him through. So, if anything I say. That uh, as hard as it may be, you don't understand it. You can't see. You can't understand it like uh, Job or, or uh, Joshua was. To trust God, that there is an end state in this, and it will be to glorify God. So thank you.
0: Um, is there is there anyone else who uh, would like to share, or is it something that popped out? Um, here's your big chance. Brent, what was that? <laughs> no. alright that's cool um, well then I'm going to ask uh, the worship team if you guys would uh, lead us this is our chance to respond this is our chance to respond in worship we, we've heard that God has been good he's been faithful to people and now let's uh, respond in worship to him
5: i yeah. yeah. Be my source, be my life, Jesus. Be my source, be my life.
0: this final portion of the responsive worship service, I would like to just give you two brief theological reflections on Psalm 23. And I hope the first one will maybe deepen your understanding of of what's going on with the images of of the the psalm, so that when you encounter it on your own, maybe it'll be a little bit more meaningful meaningful to to you. And the second thing I would like to do is offer up a little bit of a challenge that I think is addressed in, in the psalm. So, uh, when I first started looking at at Psalm 23 uh, to sort of study it, it struck me as really bad poetry. Um, I uh, I have I, I took some English classes in college, and I know that you're not supposed to do some of the stuff that the psalmist does. He um, he changes uh, from he's talking about Lord and, and God in the third person, and he changed it to the second person. He's like the Lord is my shepherd, but then he's like you comfort and guide me. Oh, terrible, goodness. <laughs> Uh, And the second thing I have noticed is that the image changes. At the beginning, it looks like uh, the Lord is is the shepherd and we are the sheep, right? And then at verse uh, 5, it changes and it becomes that the Lord is something like maybe a homeowner and we are guests in his house eating at his table. Gosh, changing your your images in the middle of a poem, T.S. Eliot would be very upset. But I don't know if that's really fair. And moreover, actually, I think I was wrong. Um, the image never changes. See, in ancient cultures, uh, the shepherd was the only person in, in, in a region, in an area. He'd be the only, there, there, he'd be the only place of, of civilization, as it were. And so what might happen is is you were, you were in the city, and you got into a little bit of trouble. Maybe you got behind in your payments, and you had uh, creditors coming after you. Or maybe you ran afoul of the law, and you would run out of the city, and you'd run into the wilderness to escape... And likely as not, you'd run into a shepherd. And when that happened, the shepherd had two options. He could invite you into his his tents or his estates, or he could bid you farewell and send you on your way. If he invited you in and you sat down to table with him, that was a promise in that culture. It was a promise that you had sanctuary, that you were safe. And that even if your enemy showed up and sat down at the table with you, they couldn't do anything. And the reason I want to bring that that image out is I think it's no coincidence that in the New Testament, we see Jesus being called the Good Shepherd. And we also have the story of the prodigal son. And you remember the last image of of the prodigal son is the son's coming back, he's bedraggled, he's covered with mud, and maybe his old friends are after him, where's our money, or something like that. And he's welcomed in by the Father. And not only is he welcomed in, he's celebrated, a party is thrown in his honor. Well, that actually happens in Psalm 23 too. Um, when it says you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. There's a lot of things that you could do in ancient cultures uh, for for anointing your head with oil. It c- it can mean a number of things. But in this context, I think it means you throwing a party. It's sort of like the birthday cake or the the singing of happy birthday at one of our birthday parties. So I hope that that you'll be able to to think about that um, as you uh, as Psalm 23 matters to you later in your life. I hope that you'll be able to recognize that. There is an image of Jesus in in this psalm, um, and it's not really bad poetry. Well, it is by Western standards, but not by Hebrew standards. You can take that home, do you? The second thing I'd like to bring out is is a challenge. The best uh, understanding, simple explanation of Psalm 23 I ever heard was from my uncle. My uncle is not a religious person, but one time we were talking about spiritual things, and Uncle Stephen, he... He said to me, Tom, I love Psalm 23, because as I look back over my life, and he's a little bit older now, he says, I can't deny it's true. When I look back over my journey, I can't deny it's true. And there's a theological thing that's, un- that's going underneath that, because Psalm 23, it's not about me, although I'm in it. And it's not only about God, although God is in it. It's about us. It's about the relationship we have. Me and God. Us and God. And it's important for us to be aware, be, be cautioned, that there's a tension that's going on there. There's a tension. The tension is, we worship God, and God is good. And because God is good, he likes to give us good things. He really does. But that's not why we worship him. There's also a validation for us. In Psalm 23, the things that we're concerned about, green pastures, still water, restoring the soul, walking through the valley of the shadow, having a table prepared for us, these are real concerns. These are the kinds of things we deal with on a day-to-day basis. They're in poetic form, yes, but they're things like food and shelter and safety, love, the very the very simple, very, very human needs that we have. And in Psalm 23, We are told, it's made okay for us, we're validated, it's okay to go to God with the things that matter to us. It's okay to enter God and be angry and be frustrated. It's okay to need vindication over your enemies, (laughs) over your enemies at the Naval Academy. That was awesome, Tom, thanks. Um, It's okay to be real with God. That's the right thing to do. God wants you to be real with him, and he wants you to uh, to express yourself to him in your prayers. But there's a danger. In ancient cultures, it was very common for uh, every, every little village or, or kingdom or tribe or city would have its own local, local gods, local deities. And very often, uh, a foreign oppressor would come along and take over. And when they did, there was always a sizable faction of the people of the city who said, we want their god. And so they would adopt. They would adopt the foreign gods. They would adopt, like if the Greeks came in, they would adopt Alexander's gods. Or if the Romans came in and took over, they would, they would take Rome's gods. And there's a reason. It was because they in their, they were looking to their gods to protect them, right? They were looking to their gods to give them strength and power, and their gods failed. Their gods let them down. So when the new gods came in, they'd say, oh, well, looks like, looks like that god knows what's up. Looks like that deity knows how to take care of us, and we want him on our team. And so they would. Interestingly enough, the Jews never did this. Um, there's a lot of stories where the Jews... Absolutely refuse. When foreign uh, pressures would come in, the Jews would risk life and limb to hang on to Yahweh, their covenant God. It is very easy for us to love the things that God gives us, and make that the reason that we love God. There is a, there was a woman who was caught in a in a loveless marriage, and. She became convicted. She realized that God was calling her to love unconditionally, to care about her husband and serve her husband, even though he was doing nothing for her. So she began to do this. She began to love on her husband. She began to do nice things for him, kind things for him. And to her surprise, as she loved him, he warmed up to her. He began being very tender to her, began caring for her. And what happened is she was so excited and so so moved by this new this newfound relationship, that she started doing those nice things because she knew the kind of response it would get her. She stopped loving her husband because that was the right thing to do, because God called her to love. She started loving her husband because it made her feel good when he talked to her and communicated with her. We're in the same danger with God. It's very easy for us to love God because we know He gives us good things. It's very easy to get interested in the comfort and security that God provides and forsake uh, loving God as God is, worshiping God because he's God. And that's why Psalm 23 is awesome. We live in this tension. Because God is who he is, he shepherds us and he cares for us. He makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside the quiet waters. He restores our soul. Not, and, and we don't love him for that, but that's what he does for us. He cares about us. He leads us down all the right paths for his name's sake. And yea, that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will not fear evil, because he's with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our head with oil and our cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I would just ask you to remember, this is an image of Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd. And sometimes we're the sheep, sometimes we're the people who need to get taken care of. And we can come to, to the Lord and expect Him to be our shepherd. And sometimes we're on the run. Sometimes we've gotten in trouble. And we need someone who's going to gather us in. And not just gather us in, but throw a party for us. And the good shepherd does that. But There's a danger. Sometimes... It's easy for us to get so excited about the comfort, so excited about what he does for us, that that's what we begin to worship. And I would challenge everyone here to investigate, to think. Um, I know that my own life, especially in Orange County, it's, in Southern California, it's very easy for me to go down that road. And I would just ask everyone here to, to maybe, when you're reflecting a little bit later, to consider to consider that this God is worthy of your worship, regardless of where you are. If you're in the Valley of the Shadow, trust him and he will take you through. Uh, right now, I'd like us to respond, to respond in worship. That God is God. God does care for us. His characteristics are powerful. He is full of love and full of grace. And so I would, I would like it if we, could, if we could respond in worship. So. I'd ask that uh, you please stand, and uh, if you're able, and join us in singing.
5: Thou found of every blessing, to my heart to sing Thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of love.
0: For uh, the love that you have for us, uh, your faithfulness to us, uh, the trust that we can put in you, Lord. Um, we just have so many things to to worship you and praise you for. Uh, Lord, just take these gifts that we give to you, uh, worship, song, uh, and offering, Lord. Uh, I just pray that you bless the gift. Uh, I pray that you would lead us. Uh, that we'd be able to use these gifts uh, in the way that you'd want us to, Lord. And these things we pray in your name. Amen. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you for worshiping with us. Thank you for uh, being attentive and, and setting your eyes on God. Um, may you have a wonderful week. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you.